Today is Friday, January 13th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. More documents found at Biden's home, this time in the garage. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. We're getting through the news of the cray here. That's what we do each and every day at 7 a.m. We are glad you're here with us. And I'm glad I have with me on this Friday, Billy Hallowell and Trey Gons Phillips. What's up, guys? Happy Friday to you. Oh, sorry, I'm just sipping my coffee as usual here. <laughs> right. It's just another day in paradise for you. You're living the dream. He's living the I dream. Am. And I we're am. all... The benefit of this podcast is we're all in this dream together. We are. I don't know if that's a nightmare now. You're so positive today, Trey. It's very uplifting. At well, I think it's it's because I'm in your dream world right now. Like I said, it could be good, but it could also turn nightmarish. But today it's good. Well, I'm going to save us all from Billy Hallowell's dream world here and move on to the <laughs> stories that we're going to be covering. Dan is done. Uh, yeah. Uh, nagorno Karabakh. That's this has been ongoing now. And uh, Billy, you had a, a really a compelling interview on this. Yeah, a mother of a cancer-stricken child who was trapped and needed to get treatment in the midst of this. They were able to get out, but we'll tell their story today. All right, looking forward to that. Have um, on the main thing, John Stolnes talking with CBN's Matt Galka. It's the first week of the new GOP-led Congress. What does this mean for the next couple years ahead? We've already seen some initial salvos fired off by the GOP, so we'll dive into all that and more. But first, we're going to get through the news here in... 90 seconds. An American Heart Association journal has published a study confirming that mRNA-based vaccines can indeed cause myocarditis in certain adolescents and young adults. It's a peer-reviewed study published by the journal uh, called Circulation, and they examined the cases of 16 adolescents and young adults hospitalized at Massachusetts General Hospital or Boston children suffering from post-vaccination myocarditis between January and February 2021 and 2022. And it concludes those 16 people had markedly elevated levels of full-length spike protein. You can read uh, that full story over at cbnnews.com. And a batch of classified documents was found in the garage of President Biden's, one of his Delaware homes. Uh, That's according to White House lawyers yesterday. They searched Biden's two residences and in Delaware after revelations about uh, previous documents found at one of his offices. So Biden's facing growing scrutiny for his handling of those classified documents. And the White House says it's fully cooperating with a Justice Department investigation. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Guys, this... uh, document saga continues. And in a press conference, um, Biden was basically sparring with Fox News's Peter Ducey when he was asked about the whereabouts of the documents. And Biden said that they were locked in a garage with his Corvette. This just feels like one of those quotes that's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. Yes. You would think that in a scenario like this, you would be thinking through what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? And how am I going to do damage control? It's sort of PR 101 um, when you know you're under scrutiny or under fire for something. And yet yeah. here we are not taking any of that common sense advice. <laughs> so y'all don't keep your stuff locked in your garage with your vintage Corvette? 
I'm confused. Oh, that's yeah. where I keep all of my stuff next to my vintage 2008 Honda Odyssey minivan. Yes. Yes. Right. My yes. RAV4 is guarding everything. <laughs> yes. The, well, ra- the RAV4 that will one day be so classic it's worth millions. Yeah. You know what's it what, what's interesting about the garage thing where they they kind of say it as well this yeah it's locked up safe in the garage I, I the think, garage is not that safe in well, my mind no because you have to open the garage to take the car out of the garage and I would assume having a Corvette you'd want to drive it from time to time and I I've seen video of President Biden driving his Corvette so. I mean, I wouldn't know because I have a minivan. I don't really want to drive anywhere unless I have to because I go in a minivan. So it must be nice. But anyway, um, the garage opens and closes is what I'm getting at here. Like this does not seem like a safe place to, I mean, you throw the things that end up in my garage or the things that I'm annoyed are in my house and I just chuck them out in the garage. Right. I don't put important things out in the garage. That's the least safe place you could put them. Well, I put all my expensive belongings in the dilapidated doghouse in the backyard. <laughs> That's, um, but I look, I think it, the real frustration here is the way the media is covering it, right? And we talked about this yesterday, uh, the fact that there is just no benefit of the doubt extended to Republicans. Right. Uh, but there is just this, it can't be bad. It, it, it's, it's, it's a completely different situation. But the reality is the only reason it's different is because the person who did it and the person who's in the news right now has a D by in their name. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the problem always with bias. And, yes, you know, but but at the end of the day, this really puts everybody in a tough position, right? Because you either had to drop it or you have to move forward with it, because if you're going to move forward with Trump, you got to move forward with Biden. And so I think at the end of the day, what this tells us is that people from both parties are taking documents out of the White House and handling them in an inappropriate way, which means I said this yesterday. We need a better system. Somebody needs to to be really maybe watching them leave with the documents. I don't know. Uh, But I think maybe we need to to reassess how big of a deal this is too, you know, and I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to me. I I can't believe we're even in this position. I I also wonder... You know, like in, in the, the 21st century world where we all have social media and we, we find out about everything like the instant that it happens uh, or we get way too many details about, it, you know, different stories. I wonder how much was this happening before and we just didn't know about it and nobody cared. Yeah, not to I, say that that meant it wasn't important, but I'm wondering if we tend to. Well, I'm not wondering. I feel like I know as a culture we stress and get anxious about things that are just not worth this much stress and hyperventilation over if at the end of the day, all we're going to do is score political points based on right. well, which I, side of the aisle you're on. I think you hit the nail on the head, Trey, talking about the, the, the frustration is how the media handled it. We mentioned the Joy Behar thing, and she said the quiet part out loud and that, right. well, we, we know Trump is a liar, and so we believe he did it. We don't think Biden's a liar, and so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's how the media operates. And then also the use of the Justice Department. I mean, Trump had... And an FBI, you know, he his it was an FBI raid on his on his. It was a big show. It was a dog and pony show meant to make him look guilty of things that clearly most people know. Presidents probably do. They they're they're always at their residences. They're coming and going. You have documents coming. I mean, it, it just happens. It's just one of those things, like you said, Billy. Maybe we need a better system, but this should not be some shock that oh my goodness, there's a document there. It just seemed like you said something to be scored for political points, but then when it's when we look at how it's handled for Biden, it's come a completely different standard, both from uh, the use of the agencies looking it up versus 
um, how the media handles it. And I think that's what frustrates most people. Yeah, well, and I think that is another manifestation of the bias people feel in their hearts has been present. We're seeing more examples of that. And even having the conversation, well, this is different. Well, why? Is it different because one person mean tweets and the other one doesn't? Right. Like, what makes it different? Um, and I think we know what it is that makes it that makes it different. Right, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, um, we're going to move into our next story here now. And the mother of a cancer-stricken child is among those we're sounding the alarm on what's happening on at Nagorno-Karabakh. And Billy, you've been covering this, and this is the latest interview that you've had, and it's just a crazy situation. It's gotten some national media attention, but it feels like it was just a flicker and it kind of went away. But what is going on there? Yeah, I mean, so this is an ongoing situation. Obviously, as you said, we've covered this. This is a small landlocked region. It's between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And this is a disputed territory. And for decades, there has been a battle over this land. It is technically in Azerbaijan, legally, internationally, but all of the residents, almost all of them, are Armenian in Nagorno-Karabakh. So you have this this weird area due to things that have happened over the years, you know, politically with Russia and the USSR. They designated this area part of Azerbaijan. But again, Armenians live there and they want to be an independent state or part of Armenia, not part of Azerbaijan. And so that has led to so many issues. But the most recent issue is a blockade. And this blockade has gone on for over a month now. It it is basically the lock-in corridor. It's the only road in or out of this area. And that road has been blocked by Azerbaijani protesters. And so we spoke with a number of people. Um, We've spoken with a doctor. We've spoken with others who live there. But really the most heartbreaking story, because keep in mind, if this is the only way in and out, that means that food, water, resources, things that you need, right, if you're sick, medicine, Those things are not coming in or out, and people are not able to come in or out. And so we spoke with Guyane Belglarian, and she's a 28-year-old mother. She has a four-year-old daughter, Monica, who suffers from liver cancer. So this little girl who has cancer, they have been afraid since December 12th because they did not know if they were going to be able to get Monica out for her treatments. She gets treatments, I believe, in Europe, and they need to obviously leave Nagorno-Karabakh to get those treatments. And so they have been on pins and needles waiting to leave, trapped inside, and lots of other people have also been trapped inside of Nagorno-Karabakh during this blockade. So what did uh, she say about the general conditions there now? What, what was her uh, take on that? So we spoke with her on Tuesday, just hours after the Red Cross actually negotiated the ability for the family to leave. So they were able to get Monica out finally a month after almost this started. Um, But she basically said that it's a disaster, that people are frightened, they are scared, they don't have food. Um, She said there's no supply of necessary elements for living. And this has been something we've heard again and again. Keep in mind This is 100,000 people, mostly Armenians, mostly Armenian Christians, living in Nagorno-Karabakh. And that 100,000 people, they've been cut off from the world. She said vegetable markets are closed and that people are using a ticket system for food. Um, And, you know, this is a scenario where Armenia was bringing food in constantly. She actually said people are dying there and that it's a really awful atmosphere and very tough. Why uh, does she believe that people, I mean, aside from the obvious, should should care about this, the people outside of that region. 
Yeah, well, she brought up Ukraine, which is interesting, right? She said the whole world is paying attention to Ukraine. Everybody's talking about it. And she said, we want the world to hear our voices too. We speak about it loud. We try to reach the international community, but nobody's answering us. Now, we have seen people... Um, some UN officials and others who have sounded the alarm over this because the fighting over this region, again, this goes back decades. There have been numerous wars over this and all of this infighting obviously is deadly. But the reason that most people think that we should care about this and that obviously she believes we should is that there are 100,000 people, regardless of what we think about the circumstances or the land, who are being cut off from much needed resources to survive, essentially. Mm. It's one of those stories that's just... We know there's a lot of Christians there in the region. You, you talked about that in your reporting um, about the history there. And so obviously as Christians, we should be play, praying for anyone that's that's in, get, get involved in some kind of suffering that's going on at the hands of others. But, I mean, this is a region of Christians, and so that especially makes it important for us to pray. But it's uh, it's weird how some stories like, like Ukraine— Obviously, with Russia, there's greater implications for us as a nation, but the way that some of these things catch fire and get all the attention and then some don't, it's really bizarre. Well, it is. And I would add, too, that Russia is involved in this story. And there's some tension with Armenia and Russia right now because Russia was the peace, is the peacekeeping force that was supposed to keep that Lacken quarter open. They're the ones who are securing that. And so because of Ukraine, though, Russia is in a weakened position, obviously, and they don't have maybe the resources and the ability to negotiate that they once had. Mm. And so Azerbaijan is probably taking advantage of that right in this moment. And again, I would say this is land that is internationally recognized as being part of Azerbaijan, but has always been disputed territory. So it's it's a flammable situation, really. And, and again, this nation is also near Iran. So there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there is. And uh, obviously we need to keep praying for them absolutely in this situation. Um, and, you know, you look at, like you said, Russia, they're busy with Ukraine. And so, you know, all of these things is like a domino effect. You know, one thing happens and it triggers all these unintended consequences, maybe, or maybe intended. We're not 100% sure. But Billy, either way, thank you for this reporting and continuing on this story, one that not a lot of other people have shined the light on, so appreciate that. All right, we're going to head into the main thing now. John Stolness caught up with CBN's Matt Galka. We've got the first week of the new GOP-led Congress going on. We've already seen bills being put forth that have been rejected by Democrats, Infant Born Alive, um, a, a Abortion Act that was put out there, also the 87,000 IRS agents and calls to abolish the IRS. Very... Uh, what they would say are quote-unquote red meat type bills. Well, what can we expect for the next couple years um, from the Republicans here as they take control of Congress? Well, John Stolness, as I said, caught up with Matt Galka, and that's today's main thing. So, Matt, the new year in Congress kicked off with quite a bang. Uh, there was obviously more drama with the speakership vote than any of us have seen in generations. Finally, it came down, and uh, Speaker McCarthy uh, got the gavel. Um, but there was a lot of drama along the way, and it sure sounds as though Speaker McCarthy is going to have less power at his disposal than maybe the speakers before him. What did he have to give up in order to in order to allow the conservatives to give him the speakership? Yeah, quite an eventful, uh, certainly first week, uh, but a uh, 
first couple of weeks here for the House. Um, they're center stage now. I mean, I, I guess it kind of helps that the Senate's uh, uh, off in district business for the month. So all eyes on the House. And they did not disappoint in there uh, when uh, Republicans <laughs> took back over the chamber. Um, it was, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, it was must-see TV, which is not a lot of times uh, people use that and uh, C-SPAN uh, in the same breath there. But, uh, y- you know, it, it was interesting, right. the negotiations that were ongoing, because um, you had a uh, group of hardliners, the House Freedom Caucus, those your, your um, I guess, the for lack of a better term here, your right of the right uh, sort of conservatives and, and members of the Rep- Republican Party uh, that we're not backing down until they got uh, some concessions from now Speaker McCarthy. Uh, and those included uh, things like committee assignments or at least uh, more um, members of the House Freedom Caucus on uh, some of the those top line committees. Uh, you know, the steering committee, which, which determines the chairs there, the uh, um, you'll you'll you have Jim Jordan, uh, who was not a holdout. He was a McCarthy supporter, but he's going to be running uh, the House Judicial um, a- in order to achieve a lot of their uh, focus, uh, which is going to be investigating the Biden administration in, in, in various ways. Uh, and yeah. you, you had the House Freedom Caucus who wanted more representation on some of these uh, A-level committees. Um, you also had one of the other, the, the biggest, maybe not the biggest, but w- one of the sticking points was what's known as the motion to vacate. Um, under Speaker Pelosi, uh, it was uh, you needed five members to call uh, for a vote to uh, try to oust the Speaker. That motion to vacate uh, is back down to one. Before Speaker Pelosi, it was at one. So it's not like this seismic shift that they've never seen before, but it was a sticking point. Part of the worry there is gridlock. Uh, if any member, and we're not talking about just Republican members, any member, a Democrat could do it too, could call at any time uh, for a vote uh, to uh, to for the motion to vacate. Uh, people are worried about gridlock when that happens. Um, whether that will be wielded in such a malicious manner remains to be seen. I, I think that's that that might be a little bit of a stretch, but the tool is still there. If you get again another faction of the Republican Party who wants to make waves, they, they could still do that. And I will end with this. One of, I think one of the under the radar things, and we won't know how this plays out for another couple of years, uh, but is uh, there was a, uh, a promise that uh, the Re- Republican Party, or at least the, I believe it was Kevin McCarthy's PAC, um, or, or one that he contributes to, they're, they're not going to spend money in safe Republican districts uh, against mm. another Republican opponent. Now, the, what does that mean, really? It means if you have um, what do you, whatever you want to call it, an ultra MAGA candidate going against a, uh, a um, I guess your a mainstream candidate, a mainstream, kind of yeah, thing. your mainstream candidate, um, and the mainstream Republicans want to step in to to stop the the uh, the ultra MAGA. Uh, in some of these districts, th- that money is not going to be able to get spent there. Now, again, that's under the radar, but that is a big win for some of those House Freedom Caucus members or future House Freedom Caucus members. That that I think that will pay dividends, but that's yeah. playing the long game there. It sure sounds as though the Freedom Caucus has earned a lot more power by staging their protest against McCarthy. Would you say that they're the most powerful group of Republicans in the House at this moment? It's certainly you can make the case for it right now with the chaos that was caused, uh, I guess, with the speaker race. But then when the dust settled, 
uh, and, and this is why I'm hesitant to say they are definitely the most powerful. When the dust settled and they took their first few votes of the year this week, uh, whether it be the rules package or some of the other things that they have been passing, there wasn't the same fury and fire and and. Republicans pretty much fell in line with each other. You know, there was only there was only one Republican no vote on the rules package, and that was Tony Gonzalez out of Texas. He was he he was concerned about possible defense spending cuts. He was concerned about that motion to vacate, but but he was the only one. There was not twenty anymore. There were not this rogue group. So, I mean, I think they wielded some power in in getting some of the things they wanted. But I'm also hesitant to say they are the most powerful because I don't want to jump into recency bias here. Because let's not forget, they, they were the minority in this. There were only 20 of them at, or, or hmm. 21 holdouts at one point with the large majority of everybody else in the caucus voting for Kevin McCarthy. So I, I just I, – I, yes, they, they flex some muscle. But to say they're the most powerful, I, I'm pretty sure McCarthy still has a pretty – good grip on the party right now, or at least his House members. I, I don't think he's too worried about uh, what they may or may not do. You know, I think the most practical and important question based out of all of this is, with everything Republicans say they want to do, and a very slim majority in the House, will it matter? What can Congress get done with a GOP-led House? I mean, they can they can pass all of the, all of the bills that they want that appease the base, that appease uh, many, many listeners of, of this podcast, for sure. Um, and they might have uh, the House will have some some conservative victories. But what can actually get passed with a GOP led House, a Democratic led Senate and a Democratic president with a veto power? Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I, I guess I'll go back to we'll, we'll cover a few things here. We'll go back to what I just said with those pro-life bills. Um, I don't want to say they, they were meaningless because they're not. They, they mean a lot to to certain they do. people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing is. Uh, go back to when the Democrats were in power. They they passed bills uh, codifying um, you know, Roe v. Wade. You know, in, they codifying it. You know, that passed the House. The Democrats all voted for it, but it went nowhere because it was never going to pass the Senate. Some of these bills, uh, while significant, are symbolic in that they they they're not going to pass to get the sixty votes in the Senate. Uh, and I get tired of saying it's the math of the situation. I think people get tired of hearing that. Um, mm-hmm. But but that's the way it is uh, with the House and Senate. Can you get the 60 votes? So some of these votes now I, I'll, we don't have to talk pro-life. Let's talk about their other uh, day one um, uh, big, big bill that they passed repealing the funding for 87,000 IRS employees uh, over the next 10 years. That was a big priority for them. They, they hammered uh, uh, in the commitment to America before the midterms. They said that was their day one bill. They, they've been talking about that. Um, because I mean, nobody really likes the IRS. Let's face it. Uh, right. Americans don't want more money taken <laughs> away from them. I don't care, you know, what creed or color you are. Uh, so I, it, that was a big priority for them. But that's, I mean, the likelihood of that actually, because they already passed that. That funding was already uh, passed, you know, before new Congress was seated here. Uh, that that funding is there. Repealing that funding, um, while significant in the House. I don't know how far that's going to get in the Senate. So those sort of things, those sort of um, this is our base, this is what our base wants, just like the Democrats did with, with some of their bills. Uh, mm-hmm. I, how far those get, I don't, not vary, but that's, that's 
those are the breaks. What what can you get done? I think what we've seen so far is there is a willingness to work together on competition with China. Um, the, the, the committee was just formed uh, for the economic competition with China, uh, where a lot of Democrats, more than 100, I don't know the exact vote off the top of my head, were on board with that. And I think you, you'll have um, a lot of negotiation and debate on energy um, and energy independence. I think there's a willingness there with Democrats. And then it'll come down to what we see in the budget. You mentioned the debt ceiling. Uh, it depends on how uh, it depends on who you're talking to about the debt ceiling, I guess. I mean, you know, the what, Democrats in the White House are saying it's dire straits if we hit the debt ceiling. Republicans are like, eh, I don't know. We'll see. You know, again, it's another yeah. another tool they have to wave around to, to get what they want. So but I do think I think China and I think energy, you will see an actual committed bipartisan effort for. Um, and, and I think those will not be controversial. Um, hmm. Now, of course, there's going to be horse trading, but those are definitely things I can see uh, uh, there being a willingness to work together on it and get some solutions on. The other one is immigration, but I, I hesitate to say there's going to be uh, a willingness to work together on immigration because I think that the views of the Senate and the views of the House on immigration are very far apart at this point. I think the end. Yeah. I think the end result uh, uh, they can agree on, but how to get there are very far apart. And I, I'm just not sure how you get there at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. you need those 60 votes. You have bipartisan legis- in the Senate. You have some bipartisan groups going to the border talking about the, the need to, for border security. That's a hard line issue in the House. You'll have Republicans on board with some more extreme border measures. But, but how they get into the middle, I don't know. But that debate, we will see that debate play out, I'm sure, time and time again this year. It's going to be a contentious Congress, it sounds like, but uh, certainly it won't be boring. I think we can say about that. So, uh, Matt, they're going to keep you busy here uh, over this uh, over these next couple of years, as the, as they usually do, as our congressional correspondent. Folks, make sure you're checking out everything Matt Galka does for us here by seeing all of his stories at CBNNews.com. Matt, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And it's always great talking to you. All right, John and Matt, thanks so much for that conversation. Really appreciate it. Of course, you can keep up to date with everything that's happening in D.C. at CBNNews.com. Our news team is there, always covering it, always great reporting. So thanks, guys, for that. And that leaves us with time for one last thing. Yeah, so we're going to look at Hebrews 13.5. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think it's really easy, especially in the like New Year's resolution time to kind of start comparing yourself to what other people have and the success that they've had, especially also in the social media age, right? You can look at the, everybody's putting up their highlight reel. So it's easy to play the comparison game, but scripture is warning us against that and telling us we have a god who's not gonna abandon us and keep us from the things that we need yeah and then that eternal perspective that makes me think of that reading hebrews 13 is like okay yeah even if you have nothing even if you have strife even if you have just the air in your lungs here on earth on this side of eternity knowing that your reward you don't want your reward to be in full here we read about those right. situations in scripture as well. And that's worst case scenario. You want to be thinking eternally. So um, that's a great verse to, to remind, at least reminds me of that. Yeah. And I think it's one of those verses we need to, re- we need to remind ourselves of weekly at least because it's so easy to be in a good place oh, yeah. and then to find yourself comparing again. It's, it's like the easiest thing to slip into. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Hebrews 13. 
five. Great stuff there. Appreciate you bringing that. Well, that's all the time we have on this Friday the 13th. I mean, we're not, we're Christians. We don't believe in luck. So do not be afraid of Friday the 13th. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. We appreciate you being here. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We'll be back here Monday with more. God bless.